0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 13th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. When the U.S. sells weapons to other countries, what happens to them? Too often, those weapons are taken and used to oppress the people the U.S. was trying to help or fired on neighboring countries. And those weapons are sometimes turned on U.S. troops. Carolyn Dormany is author of a new Cato paper, Risky Business, The Role of Arms Sales in U.S. Foreign Policy, out today. Give me the best case scenario for the United States deciding to sell heavy weaponry to governments, to groups uh, around the world, and uh, give me the best argument for why that is a productive thing for the US to do.
1: The best argument would be to sell those weapons to close allies. Um, The countries that we're most likely to have on our side if we end up going to war, you want Um, interoperability with those forces. But frequently, that's not why the U.S. decides to sell weapons. Um, Usually, we think that um, we could get leverage over a different country, or we could somehow shift the balance of power in a particular region.
0: Okay. So historically, then, what has been the result of the United States engaging in these weapons sales? Certainly, some of them have been productive and have enhanced uh, relations that the United States has had with other countries. Uh, presumably, at points in history, it has enhanced security in those countries so that the United States doesn't have to rush to their aid necessarily?
1: Absolutely. I mean, a, a good example of that would be Lend-Lease before World War II um, as a as a productive um, arms transfer policy, but that's not necessarily what has happened um particularly since 9-11. During the Cold War, there was a historical period where it was you know, trying to snap up market share um, vis-a-vis the Soviet Union. And, and so a lot of-
0: Snatch, Snap up market share, meaning prevent uh, countries that would otherwise be vulnerable to falling to communism from actually doing so?
1: Absolutely. So so during um, the Cold War, you see transfers basically along polity lines. You're selling to people that agree with you politically. And then there are, around the margins, um, countries that would play the US against the USSR and, and try and get the best weapons and, and see what they could what they could get. Um, the post-Cold War period was kind of a lull in arms sales because the market was so flooded. Um, so during the Clinton administration, it, w- it really went down. Um, but then 9-11 happened and, and terrorism became a motivating factor was selling weapons. And so the the market boomed again.
0: All right. So what has been the result of these arms sales since
1: 9-11? So it's kind of mixed. Um, you end up with a lot of negative consequences because you're selling to so many nations abroad. So our our study... Focused on 2002 to 2016, the U.S. exported close to 200 billion dollars worth of weapons to 167 nations out of roughly 200 in the world. So you're selling to pretty much everyone, um, and with that, with with such a, a widespread, there's no way to ensure every single sale would, went um, along with U.S. foreign policy lines. You know, went to support policies that we support. Um, So you end up with a lot of downstream negative effects, Um, and those come kind of in three categories. So you have effects on the U.S., um, things like blowback, things like entanglement. You have effects on the region, which could be prolonging, intensifying conflicts. Um, a A particularly negative one is dispersion. So when you sell weapons to a country, that then loses them. Or they fall into the wrong hands. Some, somehow um, they end up with actors that you don't want. And then the third, the third effect is effects on the regime. So this happens particularly with countries in Central and South America that uh, import weapons for military purposes. They trickle down to the police and then are used by corrupt actors.
0: Okay. So I'm thinking of countries like Syria, um, Afghanistan, yes. both in the 70s and uh, more since 9-11. Where have we seen – what have been the costs of U.S. weaponry having been deployed out into those areas and given to either a group or a government? And uh, as you as you and Trevor Thrall point out in this paper, the U.S. ends up fighting people who are armed with U.S. weaponry.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean there have been multiple um – records showing that our our forces end up getting um, shot at with American weapons. This happened in Somalia in 1991. It happened with um, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Uh, probably the one that people are going to be most familiar with is ISIS in Iraq. So um, we – exported billions and billions of dollars worth of weapons to the Iraqi military, despite knowing that they were poorly structured, they were corrupt, and they were ill-disciplined. And so when those forces turned tail and ran, when confronted with ISIS, they just dropped everything um, on the ground and, and ISIS was able to pick it up. So I think the UN Security Council estimated in June 2014 alone. ISIS captured vehicles, weapons, and ammunition sufficient to arm and equip more than 3 Iraqi army divisions. That that's how much ended up uh you know getting dispersed.
0: How often has the US distributed weapons to countries that ended up fighting each other both with American weapons?
1: It it happens fairly regularly. Um I there, mean if you're
0: selling to 167 countries over what fourteen years? Mm-hmm. You would think that at some point, two of those groups are going to go against each other.
1: It, it's more. It's actually more than you think. Um, there have been studies done that show as many as um, we're selling to two different sides in a in a conflict. Both sides were arming both sides in forty five percent of active conflicts, um, and that's both. You know, the numbers are a little bit different for major conventional weapons, so things like um, planes and and large bombers, things like that, and then small arms and light weapons, which are particularly problematic because that's what does the most damage in a ground war.
0: Is there a case to be made that distributing weapons around the world, doing these weapons sales, that by virtue of the fact that these groups are going to be fighting each other with U.S. weapons, that that actually does enhance American security?
1: Not really. Um, What ends up happening, you get... A lot more conflict abroad, um, which is not something that we would want to be promoting. And and a lot of those times, you know, it's not just the U.S. exporting weapons in a vacuum. It, these things also come with some kind of security alliance. They come with strings attached. And so, the U.S. also frequently gets entangled in these conflicts.
0: So the U.S., in addition to selling weapons, quite often is also extending security guarantees as well. Which comes first?
1: It's kind of interesting. There's a debate in the literature going on right now. Um, there was a, a good article a couple months back on, on whether the U.S. and how the U.S. makes a decision to arm or, or give alliance ties. Um, and so it's an ongoing debate in the academic world, but we, we're not really – that issue isn't settled.
0: They tend to go together, but it's not clear what's driving yeah. driving
1: it. Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a feedback loop. Almost, you, it's a uh, chicken or an egg problem, um, a little bit.
0: How should the U.S. be handling this? There are some countries that you know you uh, there are. There's often an outcry. We must help these people defend themselves against this external threat. There are friends. There are allies. You know that's really hard to resist sometimes.
1: It is hard to resist, and I think um, from our perspective, it would not be. Selling weapons. You, you don't always want to send lethal aid. And in many ways, the U.S. could benefit from um, pulling back a little bit and being a little bit more selective with, with who it sells weapons to and instead, you know, gaining diplomatic flexibility. From from being able to be a peaceful mediator and have and be able to broker negotiations with two sides of of an ongoing conflict, I would love to see the U.S. take on more of a mediator role.
0: Does that does do weapon sales make the uh, the U.S. less of an, a sort of honest tradesman when it comes to, you know, trying to mediate?
1: Absolutely. How how can you bring two sides of an argument to a table to the table in a peaceful manner? And, and think that they're going to get equitable treatment when you're arming one side or you're arming both sides. It's just implausible. So, so you actually gain or you might gain diplomatic flexibility from restricting some of that.
0: Carolyn Dorminy is author of Risky Business, The Role of Arms Sales in U.S. Foreign Policy, out today at Cato.org. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.